Hey, this is Isaiah Smallman, and you're listening to I Guess We'll Do It That Way, a podcast where I call my buddy John each week to check in on my progress as I direct my first feature film. It's presented by Mama Bear Studios. Mama Bear's mission is to create entertaining works of art that explore our humanity. All right, here's episode two. Hey, Johnny Bear. How you doing, dude? Just living it up in the city, my man. You're in New York, aren't you? I am indeed. The city that never sleeps. The Big Apple, the Big Easy. <laughs> Those are not the same places. Very, very <laughs> different places. The big, the, New York is the least easy place I've ever heard of in my entire life. People are mean in New York. I mean, I love I love New York, but they're, they're mean. They're mean to you. Oh, because they smell my fear. They see you're weak and they're trying to weed you out. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, that is sinister. Yeah, yeah. It works. It works like a charm. How do, how do people respond to you? I'm toting around little junior, so the reception mm. is always great. They're like, ah, yes, more people that we can corrupt from the young age. They're just impressed. Uh, you know, anytime you see a kid doing something difficult, like if you were hiking up a mountain and there were a 10-year-old next to you trying his hardest to do it, you'd be impressed. Mm-hmm. And the same sort of thing happens here. An old grizzled new yorker sees a a 10 and a six-year-old hoofing it down the street right and he he feels some mutual respect for that kid (laughs) and assumes i must be a good guy that i bred them to be this way but what he doesn't really know is that they're just walking because of the threat of spanks oh they're terrified I had i had a real new york moment the other day actually i was crossing a street because i kind of live in the city I mean, I, I live in the city. It's not right. kind of the city. It's the city. And I was walking to get a donut with my uncle who was visiting. Um, LA's a big donut town. Unlike New York, that's one major bonus over New York. There's not a Dunkin' Donuts in sight. It's all local places that mostly also sell a lot of tickets and, uh, you know, Chinese food or burgers. But their donuts are good. These are ho- homemade donuts. Very delicious homemade donuts. I mean, kind of in the classic style of a Dunkin' Donuts. They're not like... There are fancy donuts too, but m- for the most part, they're, yeah, they're they're pretty basic, pretty basic style raised fried donuts, and they are banging. How do they top them? Oh, any any way you want. But I'm kind of a classic guy. I like I like glazed. I like uh, glazed twist. I like Bavarian cream with chocolate. Um, you know, I'm a pretty t- I'm a pretty straight straight down the middle guy as long as the quality of the dough is there. Do you have any apprehension about eating a donut in public? Zero. So you get these donuts. Let's say you get six donuts or mm-hmm. 12 donuts. You'll walk mm-hmm. out of Kelly's Donut Shop, Sally's Donut Shop, mm-hmm. and there's a bench outside and people are sitting out there eating donuts. You'll join them. You'll sit out there and you'll eat a donut in front of everybody. Oh, 100%. You'll get some custard on your face, a little powdered sugar in your beard. <laughs> You're not afraid of that? I was wondering if you were worried. I was, yeah, I was wondering if the root of that question was more that like some, some donuts are sort of phallic in shape this says a lot about your personality and your thought I know. your private I'm, mental life i know i'm still kind of working through some repressed feelings apparently towards donuts mainly no i mean the shame of getting sugar and grease no on your i face get that i public. get that um i mean it's kind of a car town so yeah honestly i take my donut back to my car and i eat it in the car yeah is there shame involved here i mean usually the first one i feel fine and then once i've gone I, i've left gotten on the interstate turned around and come back 
for the fourth time to get another donut, that's usually when I start feeling some shame. You think any director, casting director, has ever asked an actor to eat a donut in front of them? <laughs> Just to see how they eat a donut? The role requires you eating a donut, so sit I here and eat a donut. the chances of that not having happened are the same as the chances that someone hasn't climbed a palm tree naked and taken a shit from the top in Los Angeles. I've done that. So there we go. Then I think it's pretty safe to say that someone has asked uh, uh, someone in casting session to eat a donut. Have you ever seen someone eat a donut in a casting session? I've never. No, I've never asked. I should, though. But then again, if there's a role that involves eating a donut, I'm casting myself. Or me. Hands down. Or you. I would pay you to get that role. How much would you pay me? A dollar fifty? About the price of a donut. Two, three bucks, yeah. The price of a fancy donut. Yeah. I think that seems reasonable. So Um, last time we talked, we were gonna go. Oh, real quick, I wanted to tell you uh, I wanted to tell you my New York moment. Oh yeah, hit me. So I was walking down the street to go get a donut, right? Yeah. And a guy in a cab, which made it even more of a New York moment because there's not that many cabs in LA. A guy in a cab, I'm crossing the crosswalk. He, big dum-dum, pulls way too far out in the inter- intersection, and he starts backing up over me and my no. dogs. He no. literally almost ran me over, and I started banging on his hood, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? You don't back up in the middle of a crosswalk. That's like number one rule of driving. Everyone knows that. Anyway, it was a pretty classic New York moment. <laughs> I was like, I'm walking here. That's kind of what I said. How did you resolve that situation? I was like, get your shit together. You're a professional driver, and I walked away. Is this a yellow cab, like a typical taxi cab, or is it an Uber or a Lyft? Yeah, yeah. I expect this kind of BS from a Lyft. No, it was a yellow cab. This guy is, like, supposed to be a true professional. I was ticked. I think a lot of people in that situation let the car hit them and sue. I think I should have done it. I could have made rollers even bigger. could be huge right now. I should have made sure that my neck was very, very stiff. You have some acting experience, so you could really pull this off. Mm, that was a major missed opportunity. You could sell it. Yeah, this is a bummer. I'm going to go find another cab. We sat down and watched a few minutes of the World Cup, which is uh, it's excellent soccer and excellent acting. Mm, I know. I feel like you really can't play at that level unless you're a terrific actor. These guys flop, rubbing their muscles, screaming. <laughs> Five minutes later, they're kicking goals in. I mean, it's unreal. Exactly. Well, and honestly, too, these guys are so strong. I mean, you, to, to to play at that level for 90 consecutive minutes, your muscles are so resilient. They, they You know what I mean? They are not going to get hurt that easily. But, I, I mean, hey, like, this is a game. It's not without, it's not outside the rules. You got to do everything you possibly can to win, to take a break, to, you know, get somebody else a yellow card, whatever it's got to be. What's funny is that the refs don't put an end to it. Yeah, they reward this behavior. Mm-hmm. It feels like they should have a panel up with uh, scorecards to put up for how well the player acted mm-hmm. when he fell. Instead of penalty kicks. A precisely. Acting points. Yeah, I like that. Um, cool. Well, we should probably reintroduce the show because I'm sure everyone's already forgotten about it. Uh, this is, I guess we'll do it that way, a show where I, Isaiah, call you Johnny Bear once a week to talk about the making of rollers, among many other things, as you probably already know. John, where did we leave off last week? Who knows? It's been an entire week. 
I think we decided that we were going to end up talking today about casting directors, which incidentally mm. has already sort of come up. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Uh, casting directors. Oh, yeah, because this week that was kind of the next big, big thing for me. Well, hmm. What's happened this week? I mean, honestly, <laughs> not much has happened this week. Oh, no. I think this is going to be a, rec- a recurring theme. No, no, no. It, it Actually, some stuff started to come together this morning. Tell us. Minutes, minutes before we started recording. No, I think uh, this is this is probably a good time to address it, though. That is going to be a recurring theme of this podcast for sure. I think we can change that. The theme of the theme of things not happening as quickly as I want them to. But yeah, right. Maybe we can change it. You need to change it. Maybe this will spur you on to make more content by causing drama. You know, yeah. tell some actors that they got the job and then call them back and tell them they didn't get the job. Ooh. Let's see some heartache, some drama. John, you should be a producer. I like the way you think. You th- because I sound like Weinstein? No, 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 no. You don't sound rapey. You just sound smart. Manipulative. So, yeah. So, basically, the casting director, um, I'm not going to drop any names because she has not attached herself yet, but got a very positive email back. We're going back and forth. We're kind of talking about, you know, the size and scope and type of the project and what my expectations are. And the woman I'm talking to is super, super cool. And uh, yeah, I hope she I hope she gets excited about the project and wants to do it. She read it last week, so um, but she's traveling, so we're just kind of emailing at this point. We might we might end up on the phone later today, so I might actually have a more exciting update next week. But hold but the phone. I might how not. I don't want to promise everybody. How did you even get hooked up with this person in the first place? Um, that is a good question. Okay, you know I started going through a lot of decent sized indie movies that I've liked from the last. X number of years. Five, Give us six, three names. Years. Three names. Three names of casting directors? No, of movies. That oh, you movies. Watch. Okay. Um, one that I really like, Don't Think Twice. Have you seen that one? Mike Birbiglia. It's about an improv troupe in New York. No. It's really, really good. It's okay. So part of the reason that was interesting to me is it's very funny, but it's very dramatic. It's a little dark. Um, that is something that I think tonally I'm trying to achieve with rollers. And so I looked at that and I was like, boom, that movie's freaking great. Who brought all those people together? Well, I'm assuming Mike Birbiglia had a lot to do with it. But at the same time, I'm sure the casting director had a lot to do with it. Um, another one would be Lady Bird from last year. Did you see Lady Bird? No. John, we got to get you on more movies. No. <laughs> John doesn't even like movies. Oh, um, terrible. Now, I've heard Lady Bird is good. I've heard of Berbiglia because he he's on NPR all the time. Mm. Or he used to be. I didn't even know that. He was one of the heavy a, he's hitters. He's a really great comedian. Uh, you should look up his stuff. He's he's amazing. I'll, I'll link to some of his, his stuff in the show notes. We know Mike listens, so. Hey, Mike. Mikey, boy. Our two, our two listeners, we are now up to two. We've got Teddy Bronson of Wisconsin and Mikey boy Berbiglia from right here in New York City. Yeah, baby. I think he does live in New York. I think I heard an interview with him where he lives. Do you want to go track him down? I'm already working on it. He's probably busy listening to our podcast, so you know he's at home. He's sleepwalking around the city. Mm, nice reference. I like so, that. But here's the real question. So you have a movie, you say, okay, this is of similar size as to what I'm making, and you look at the credits and you find the casting director, but you said earlier, find a casting director who I like. And I think most people out there are like, how would you know if what they did was good or not? Mm. Don't they, aren't they really just going out and saying, who can we get in our price range for this type of movie? And they're just 
basically selecting the people who say yes? I think that's a good, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think it probably really depends on the type of project. I think it depends on the cast and director themselves. And yeah, the people that I started calling, to, to answer your previous question, basically what I did is there's a website called IMDb. There's a version of IMDb called IMDb Pro, which, you know, you pay like a very small annual fee and you just get a little bit more information. And so some people will include, you know, contact information for either their company or themselves or whatever's necessary. And so when I when I did create this list, I identified these people and some of them didn't have any information up. So I just had to track it down, you know, by if say they have a name of their company, but not, um, you know, not an actual phone number or an email, I would just kind of do some internet research and, and find it and, you know, call them or email them and just say, Hey, here's the, here's the gist of the project. Here's what I've done before. Is this the kind of thing you'd be interested in talking about? And they say yes or no. And from yeah, there, it's just, it's kind of hit or miss from there. Once they're attached to mm, a what project, do they actually do? What are they actually doing? Okay. Well, again, okay, so that's where it comes into, it depends on the project, depends on the casting director. In this case, what I'm really excited about is finding someone who is going to have great ideas about people that I haven't thought of. Like, hey, there's this actor that is in this show, or there's this actor who is in this movie a couple years ago that you may not know, and you should really think about that. Or... What if we went to this person who is a little bigger, but like we can maybe find a connection to them? Or here's someone that no one's ever heard of at all, but I saw them in this thing and they are incredible. Let's have them in and talk to them and see if they'd be a fit for the role. I think in my mind, that's what the perfect casting director does. And then beyond that, what they then are able to do is say, help me think through will these people work together well? Like, will they have good chemistry? You know, so it's it's partly like, it depends on the role. And so with big leads, there's a smaller list of people to potentially fill those roles. And so with a big, big, big studio movie, for example, I think a lot of casting directors are, um, you know, there's only a handful of people who can headline a 50 to $100 million movie um, within any given age range, gender, et cetera. And so that list is going to be pretty short. There's, you know, there's only so many Tom Hanks out there. And so part of their job, I I assume, I mean, I've never made a movie like that is to, you know, figure out what the deal is with those people, figure out whether they're available, you know, pitch them on the project. But, you know, at this level, it is a lot more kind of keeping tabs on who's out there, keeping tabs on projects, making sure that we're thinking through every possibility and not just kind of, you know, going with the most obvious choices. I think the uh, the obvious perception of a lot of people is like the script comes in and the part calls for a 250-pound Samoan ex-wrestler whose name has to do with lithography. <laughs> and she says, you know, who am I going to get? Right. What are the circumstances under which a casting director could get fired? Hmm... I would fire a casting director if I felt like they were kind of phoning it in and saying, uh, let's, you know, if I was like, I really want to push this, like, let's think outside the box. Let's find somebody who looks different, you know, or find somebody who isn't the first person that comes to mind when I think of this role. Right. For, for example, like there are so many movies, so many movies that get made, so many indie movies. And this is not to say that this is bad. 
I, I this is not a value judgment. I just think it it is a uh, an easy thing to slip into where it's just like great. Let's cast every role with typical white hipster, right? Twenty seven year old white hipster, male female. Insert X number of actors. There's a number of people who can do that. That's, that's what the fine. people want to see. That's what the people want. Is, is that see? That's the thing, though. It, it uh, you know, a bunch of bearded guys. Let's just perpetuate. Let's Brooklyn. just perpetuate all of the problems with Hollywood by starting at the indie level. Let's only cast white hipsters, and then we'll only end up with white hipster movie stars. It's perfect. I love that plan, John. But it really does come down to what the script calls for. Like your yeah, script. Absolutely. What are the who are the leads of your script? Okay, so there's really three three it's kind of an ensemble movie, which is really fun. And so again, in this case, I think a really talented casting director is going to look at it and say, you know, these are some people that maybe we should really think about and they're not the kind of people that you would have immediately thought of but man they would look so good to, they would feel so good together they would feel like family for example there's a brother and a sister maddie and rufus um those are two of the three kind of main leads and then there's a second tier of really heavily featured supporting actors and so um there's a lot of really juicy roles and so my goal there is to say obviously all of those roles don't need to be people that i've heard of i i hope that maybe one or two of them are just so that we can kind of help raise the profile of the project. But um, finding people who played supporting roles in TV shows or, or smaller movies and saying like, man, these people, you may not have heard of them, but they're going to look great on screen with these other people and they're just going to have like really great chemistry. And where is she finding these people? Is she going to local theaters? I mean, what is the actual work of getting... Is it, isn't this just a person that knows like 15 actors? No, it's more like... I, they end up knowing a ton of actors. I think the real skill is probably, I mean, I don't know exactly how they do their job. Maybe down the road we can talk to somebody and really get into their world. But uh, my assumption is that they kind of do it in a similar way that I do, which is they watch a ton of stuff and keep notes on people that jump out at them and just sort of keep an idea of like, hey, this is the kind of person that would be good for this kind of thing. But what I really want help with in a movie like this is, there's a brother and a sister, for example, Maddie okay. and Rufus. They right. need to be very believable as brother and sister, obviously, because they are brother and sister. But how do we do that in a way that, again, is not just sort of a straight up the middle, let's cast two people that kind of look exactly the same. Like, that's not really what sells them as brother and sister, you know? Right. It's the chemistry. It's, it's, it's the chemistry. The and I'm even kind of interested in thinking about hey do they even have to look the same can one of them be asian and one of them be white or can one of them be black and one of them is indian i don't know i mean i'm completely open and that's the kind of thing that i think a really excellent casting director is going to be able to help think through and some of this too it depends on the leads like frankly i'm probably not going to be in a position where i'm auditioning a lot of these leads i'm probably going to be making straight offers because people don't like auditioning auditioning sucks and so some of this is going to be trust. It's going to be largely based on their previous work. Right. Do people submit like a deck to you or a, an audition tape? Or do you just look at their previous films? They've been, what if somebody hasn't been in anything? Well, then in that case, we would audition them. Right. The reason we wouldn't audition them is because they're just at the level where they don't have to audition anymore. Right. Um, but typically, yeah, you're just looking at previous work. And then, you know, the, the typical process is they send a reel, which is I hate reels. Side note, I hate reels. The reel is basically, um, this is so annoying. What is? My uh, my iPad keeps dinging. The volume is down and it's on do not disturb. So I don't know how Seriously? it's doing that. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's demonized. Okay. I could hear it just then, and I could hear you, like, pause. Yeah, and it, uh, I, that makes me angry. Um, about it. It's totally funny. Yeah, I think I'm going to turn my Wi-Fi off. Um, so, bum, bum, bum. Beep, ba-doom, ba-doom, Isn't that going to kill our call? No, I'm on my laptop for the call. So, what was the question again? Um, you were in the middle of telling me that casting directors, uh, we were talking about chemistry, uh, p- finding people who are right for the roles. Um, thinking, oh, making direct people, offers. Right, di- making direct offers, not auditioning people. Um, yeah. Another thing that it occurs to me when you're making an independent movie is cost has got to be a huge consideration. Right. So it part of me is like if you had the capability to do something, like it sounds like you have the capability to go out there and find these actors if it really just entails looking at work. So you can go watch 50 independent movies and find people for this role. Is there any temptation to just want to do all, a lot of the stuff yourself? A lot of oh, the 100%. Pre-work? Absolutely. But here's the thing is I'm not again, I I believe I believe in I believe in collaboration, baby. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let's get real cheesy for a minute, Hit you me. know? Just super cheesy. No, I believe in collaboration. I believe that Someone else is going to have not necessarily better ideas, although they'll probably have better ideas, but more importantly, they're going to have different ideas. Right. And that's what is going to make this movie good. I mean, okay, that's the name of this podcast, which we should talk about at some point. I don't know if we've explained it yet. The name of the podcast is, I guess we'll do it that way, which is very much at the core of this question, which is, yeah, like if, look, if, if all these casting directors are like, dude this script sucks and i don't want to take any risks on you because you seem like a real hack then yeah i'm gonna be like okay cool then i guess i'll just start calling all these actors myself like one of the actors i'm thinking about going to i know her agent so what i would do is i'd call her agent and i'd say hey do you think you can get this to her and hopefully she would say yes and could i do that absolutely but am i going to come up with as many good ideas no and more importantly um, another thing that casting directors do if they've made good stuff is that they legitimize a project. And so when actor Y is thinking about, you know, when you're trying to get it to them, their agent or their manager or whoever is their main gatekeeper is to some extent going to be trying to shield them from bullshit. And so when a casting director with great credits comes and says, hey, I think this project is worth your time. That's a completely different situation than some no-name director like me calling them and sort of getting stuck at the bottom of the pile. That's fascinating, and that actually makes a ton of sense. They legitimize the project by attaching themselves to it. And that, and, and, and the more people that attach themselves, the more legitimate the project gets. And so the first actor that signs on is often the hardest. And then if that person is really cool, then the second person is like, oh, yeah, I'll work with that person. They seem really great. And then so, it just snowballs. So these aren't all the roles are not cast at the same time. They might pick the main lead months or weeks or whatever ahead of all the other parts and use that as leverage to get yes. the people they want. Absolutely. But again, back to the I guess we'll do it that way thing. Part of what happens is, oh, so-and-so is available on these windows next year, right. March, April, and July and everything else they're booked. And so we're like, cool, I guess we're going to try to pull it off in April. And then we start going to everyone else. And one of the first things you do when you're checking with actors is you check their availabilities and you say, Hey, are they even available in the spring? And they're like, no, they're on a TV show until July. And so you're like, okay, cool. Do we want to do it in July? Do we want to restructure? Do we, and this is why even huge movies, 
you know, another thing that we're producing, a much, much, much bigger movie with like actual movie stars that you would have heard of. That would be a fun one to talk about down the road. I can't talk about it a ton right now, but like Thanks serious for bringing movie it up. stars. I know, right? I'm just teasing everybody. Kelly, my wife, was listening to the first episode and she was like, you better keep all these promises. <laughs> She's Not like, in the show notes, Kelly. better be good because I need those show notes. I was like, oh, they're going to be good. I'm going to make sure they got everything in there. Get ready to be disappointed, Kelly. Yeah, exactly. Kelly's never, no one's ever going to listen to episode three for sure. But, um, the idea would be so with even with bigger movies where money is really not the issue because they're paying people buku money to do these big movies. Sure. The real problem is like you only get to do like three movies a year if you're not. And then so and then, you know, so and so had to lose 50 pounds to do it and cut his hair off. So like he's kind of out of commission for the rest of the year. And then, you know, and then this other guy is like, I'm only doing this and this. And, you know, and so all of a sudden you end up making all these compromises and being like, okay, cool. Well, that's not our first choice, but how do we find this other person who's also available at the same time, who also likes this person? And then when you get into, I mean, thankfully, I don't think this is as much of a thing for movies this size, but I mean, eventually you get into situations where it's like, oh, they're crazy. Do you want to put up with that? You know, or they have history with this other person who's on, you know, who's acting in the movie. Is that going to be a problem? You know, I mean, famously, uh, people said that Stanley Kubrick used Eyes Wide Shut to break up Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's marriage. You know, there's stuff like that. Wait, wait, wait. Why would he do that? For what purpose? I don't know. I don't even really know much about the legend. I just, maybe he was into Nicole Kidman. I don't know. You never heard that? I, I, is that not a common legend? I thought that was kind of like a, a, a typical... Because they got divorced after that, right? You just invented a wild, wild theory. I love my I, lies. I could. My phone just beeped, dude. Somebody just sent me that on Twitter. Did they? No, nobody's oh, ever said hot. that. You just made that up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to find it. It, it. Look, there will be proof in the show notes. Just we wait. are going to get a letter from his lawyer, from his children. I'm telling his you. His estate? Yes. Oh, man. I mean, that's the last thing I want. He's my hero. You have riled up some me. serious forces here, my man. I'm just driving box office dollars, baby. <laughs> so after the cast is set, after everybody's lined Which up. Which sometimes, dude, sometimes the cast doesn't get set until like the day before you're shooting that scene. I'm serious. I mean. I believe it. When we were shooting Hunter Gatherer, there were a couple minor roles that we were looking for until the last minute. So after that, after you're ready to shoot, does the casting director just go to Jamaica? What do they do? Do they stick around and help? It really depends. I think a lot of cases they move on to other projects. I mean, that's one. Okay. Another thought on casting directors. Hit me. Part of what makes a casting director slightly more approachable than, say, a famous actor or a big time super producer. Casting directors are, their involvement is very front loaded. And so it's a little bit less. When a producer or a director or an actor signs onto a project, they are stuck with that thing for years, potentially, you know, because obviously they got to sit through the development process. They've got to make it, which is like, you know, potentially months of work between prep and shooting. I mean, it depends on how long the shoot is. If it's right. eyed shut, you're, that's your year, basically. Obviously, Rollers is not that big. And then... You've got to, you know, potentially come back for reshoots and then you got to go to festivals and then you got to do like, if it's a bigger movie, you got to do like talk shows and podcasts and the press tour and all that kind of stuff. So all of a sudden saying yes to one thing is a nightmare, you know, and so you really got to want to do it. It's not just, uh, it's not just like, yeah, pop in for, if it's a pop in for four days type thing, sometimes you can get pretty huge people. Um, 
But in this case, you know, it's, it's, you know, like, especially with these leads, it's a little bit of a process. It's not going to be a ton of prep. One nice thing is I'm shooting in LA. So, you know, that's a big pitch to actors is, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to shoot in LA. You probably live in LA just, or maybe New York, but either way, you probably spend a lot of time in LA at the very least. And so you can probably sleep in your own bed. You can get other work done, but, Oh, I'm getting off track. The point is the casting directors, they, um, they're typically by the time you're in production, they're they're pretty they're pretty pretty much moved on. Whereas a producer isn't done really ever because even after the movie is released, they're still sending out uh, accounting reports and you know uh, finding new territories to sell a film to and all that kind of stuff. Do you know the path to become a casting director? I mean, that's not something you go to school for, right? No, that's actually a good question. I'm assuming the path is you start as someone's assistant and then they give you more things to do. Like, I I don't know exactly what a casting assistant does on a day-to-day basis, but I assume it's something like they are doing some of that research. They're answering stuff. They're coordinating stuff. They're doing whatever. And then eventually they're like, Hey, why don't you, you know, here's this project that I don't have time for. Why don't you kind of help me out? I got to know. We have to research this because now it's like, who was the first casting director? Ooh, Ever. that's a good question. Come Who on. was the fr- Okay, it would have been late, actually, I bet, because back in the day... Well, but then again, okay, there's kind of two key components to casting. There's leads and names and all that kind of half. You know, there's the, sure. the bigger people. And then there's everyone else in the movie, which right. is a completely different process because even a movie like The Size of Rollers a lot of the roles we are going to be auditioning people for. But that's where some of the work of a, of a casting director really comes in is because you've got the two halves. You've got the, the bigger half, which is like leads who, in this particular case with rollers, I'm not necessarily going to be auditioning most of these leads. I'm probably going to end up going straight to some of them and saying, based on your previous work, I think you'd be amazing for this. Will you read this? I might even write them a personal note explaining why I think they're great for the role. And then they decide to do it or not, but there's not really an audition process. A lot of the other roles, though, like all the a lot of supporting roles and 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 guy number three who's you know I'm walking here, that guy, you know, you like, got to audition that guy. Yeah, you got to find that guy because oh man, wow, make him eat a donut. Find- you got to get him to eat a donut in front exactly. of you. Exactly. You got you to see if he can eat a donut naturally or if he looks like a, looks like a crazy person. Because some people will look like crazy people when they eat donuts, and you don't need that. It's a litmus test to see a person's true self when they have powdered sugar on their face. Like, can you hang with that? Mm-hmm. If you can, you have some real fortitude. If not, move along, buddy. We need somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Sorry. It's nothing personal, but we, uh, we don't need you here. It's not going to work out. Get the... F out of my office. How sad is it, though, really, for the guy, guy number three, when you don't get that part? Oh, cat, uh, auditioning is brutal. I mean, I, most really famous people don't audition at all. But, I mean, dude, it sucks. Because, he, okay, let me describe a typical audition, okay? Hit me. You walk into the casting director's office. There's, like, literally 40 other people standing around. They all kind of look like you. You're number 23. You go in depending on the size of the role. And I've had the, the, the distinct honor of being on both sides of, of, of this of this coin. I've auditioned uh, for things, and I've auditioned people. You've been and guy number say, 22 sitting there like a schlub. Yeah, and it sucks. And you know what also sucks? Being the guy telling guy number 22, thank you, that was great. And then he walks out, and you're like, that was never going to happen. That uh, guy should find a new job. Or like, oh, that guy is great. He just took an hour and a half of his day to get here early 
and sit in front of me for literally three and a half minutes, if that. I've done auditions where I was in there for 10 seconds, not really 10 seconds, but under a minute because it's like, yeah, it's literally like you just pop in. It's for a commercial. They're like, hey, take your shirt off. Wow. What kind of commercials is this? Oh, I did. <laughs> uh, it's a this special kind of commercial. No, this particular one. Okay, this is probably one of the dumbest auditions I've ever done. It was for like a cell phone commercial, but the whole thing was a guy in a shower. So they're like, they didn't actually make me take my shirt. No, they actually they did. They wanted me to take my shirt off to see what I look like shirtless, which is fine. I don't care. I wore shorts. And then I had to pretend like I was taking a shower. I mimed a shower. Describe the room to us. How many people are in this room? Mm. Anywhere from one to five, maybe. It depends on... No, no. In, in the one that you were in, the one that you were in, where you whipped one your guy, shirt off. Casting was, director. One guy, casting director, making tape. What Just, city was this in? You, you walk in and you're like, this is my name, you know, whatever. Uh, this was in LA. You walk in, you're like, this is my name, and... and um, you, you know, you say it into the camera and then basically they're just making a big old list of people. And so on the other side, what the, the next step is I get, let's say it's a commercial or a movie for that matter. Um, I get in some form, usually over the internet, a, uh, you know, a, a list of, or, or a, a bunch of links right. to either a single link with a whole bunch of people with names and all that kind of stuff, or like a link, their little audition, and um and the resume and maybe an acting reel oh i was saying earlier i hate reels here's why i hate reels an acting reel is basically when you cut together a bunch of partial scenes and make like a little sizzle reel that shows how good of an actor you are sure the problem is they're just never good they're never good because the the things you were doing were never meant to be viewed in that way so it's you whipping around saying hey i'm walking here and they take that Put it yeah, you're cl- like, hey, I'm walking here. And then next thing you know, you're in a different costume in a different place doing a different scene. I just always would prefer to see – I guess here's the thing. A reel can tell me if someone's bad. I can tell if someone's bad just by looking at a reel. I sure. can't really tell if they're good by looking at a reel. So then you bring them in. So then I bring them in. If I like them, I bring them in, and I'm like, hey – you know, what's up, dude? No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you're just the next starting step out, would though, be, you're... The next step would be, let's say I have like 100, 100 people. I mean, it, it totally depends. But let's say I have 100 people. You know, I would usually give some direction to the casting director. Maybe it's sides. If, if it's a movie, you know, it's probably got the line. You know, the sides basic, sides is basically the, the piece of the scene or the piece of the script that's relevant to that particular actor for okay. that particular role. And so, the, you know, they may have the sides ahead of time. And that's a whole other thing. How they get those sides, that's usually... Um, it, it really depends on the size of the role, but usually these people have agents. Those, those people's agents get contacted by the casting director or by other people and, and say to their actors who they represent, they're like, hey, you, you, and you, you should come in. Here's the sides. Be ready. You know, have this monologue memorized. Have this other thing or have this line. You know, I'm walking here. Make sure you say it, you know, three different ways. And so you'll go in and you'll say it three different ways and then you walk out. You're going to get a and role so, from this podcast, I think. You think? I'm walking here! Like that role, that's the only role I've ever wanted. You could be on NYPD Blue 50 times with that character. If I could get a job being that guy 50 times on NYPD Blue, I would make good money Yeah, and probably be able to not have another job and make movies. Hey, if you're listening, NYPD Blue casting director, I'm walking here! I can do it lots of other ways. That's solid gold. Thank you, John. So what happens is I look at this big old list of people and I'm like, wow, you know, um, 
30% of these people can't act, unfortunately. And um, What's just... the worst reel you've seen? Oh, I don't even know how to start. <laughs> Hit me. I, I mean, I don't even know how to describe. You, you know when you're like watching someone who can't act? Hmm. It's the worst. Oh, it's just so painful. It is absolutely excruciating. A homemade reel. If you're just starting out, you you got to put in what? Yourself or in your high school I mean, Sometimes play? I, I'm even, uh, I mean, well, that's the thing is it's really hard to get started because how do you get roles if you haven't been in anything? And how do you get in anything if you haven't gotten roles? Right. It's, it's a, you know, it's a classic chicken or the egg. Tell the kids out there that? right now. I am. How, tell the kids out there right now. How do you get a, how do you get a role? Kids out there right now. I don't know. I actually don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a haul. It's, you, you got to find people, you know, that are making stuff and you got to get them to put you in it. That's really what it has to be. And, and I will say, I don't usually judge acting based on the quality of the production value. I can definitely see a little bit of like, okay, this short is atrocious, but that's not the actor's fault. And then in some cases they're all bad. Sure. And you know what? You got you to gotta try stuff. I've made terrible stuff. That's just the way it goes. Everybody makes bad stuff. That's just how, that's how you get better. You I'm make doing bad it right stuff. now. Exactly. Yeah, we're making just a god-awful podcast so that later we can make a good podcast. And But, well, real quick, back to the process, though. You, you know, I don't even usually, I don't look at a lot of reels unless I feel like I need a little bit more info. Typically, let's say we have all these tapes and it's the person saying their lines, or in some cases, you know, you come up with other ways to sort of see if they can do it. Like the donut thing. That's right. a great, John, you should be a casting director because that's maybe not the donut, but it's a good idea. For example, there was one role. Rollers? The donut guy? No. Casting director. I'm available. Oh, I'll the guy I'm my, telling uh, about casting directing is going to be my casting director. I love that. I'll text you my fee right now. Okay. Is it above or below a million dollars? I'm insulted that you would even ask me that question. <laughs> all right. Well, then we're in business. I like your style. It's all donuts. I have a huge donut <laughs> expenditure. I'm going to write a donut guy into the movie, and you're going to be the donut guy, John. I'm committing to that on the record right now. I will fly out. I will do this. I love it. Okay. So let's say it's a smaller role. Sometimes you got to come up with kind of creative ways to see if someone can do it. For see example, I've had roles. Of. Yeah, exactly. And, and and I've had roles where there's not a lot of talking, but there's a lot of acting. Sure. And some of it's kind of improv. So I'm like, you know, sometimes you'll come up with, uh, this is, I'm not saying this is good. I'm just saying it actually kind of worked in this situation. Um, there was a person and the script, this was like a really last minute commercial. The script was still in flux. So I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to make these people like memorize all this stuff and, you know, be this character and whatever. So let's just honestly, these people, if they are right for the role, part of it's going to be look. That's one thing I'm, I, I would say to young, you know, young actors. The, the, the unfortunate look reality better. is look, <laughs> look sexier. No, it's not that at all. The problem is it's just sometimes you just look the part or you don't. And I think that's kind of an unfortunate reality. Like, if they have somebody with brown hair and, you know, kind of short and a little stubby and you're lanky and tall, hey, shoot, go in there, do your best. Maybe they'll change their minds. But the reality is a lot of the time they're just going to be like, yeah, they just don't look the part. Fix and your body. You That's the message. It. 
or just you know you just might not get every part hit I the gym pal that's my word yeah, to you buddy <laughs> hit the get at least three inches cut out of your legs please. put that donut down put that donut down there is that a is guy not the kind of message that i want to be spreading john there's a guy going around new york we're gonna give all of our listeners body image problems sorry keep going there's a guy walking around new york on quote unquote auditioning for as many roles as he can eating all the free donuts mm. So the last thing I'll say about casting is, you know, the, the, there's an example where it's like, hey, you know, I don't need you to say all these. I don't need you to do this like amazing Shakespeare monologue. I just need to know that you're comfortable on camera. And so you just come up with like a thing that they can do that will show you if they're comfortable on camera or if they can think on their feet or you just have to kind of decide what the role requires. And then you have to figure out how to test those people. It's almost like... um it's almost like science, you know, you have a hypothesis and then you've got to decide, does, does this work? You know, you're like, I think dogs have emotions. And then you have to come up with a test to actually figure out and create some sort of tangible evidence as to whether or not dogs have emotions. And casting can be a little bit like that. Like, I think you look right now. Can you do this? Can you be this way? Can I see you as small or can I see you as pathetic or can I see you as giant or strong or angry? And that's really what it comes down to. It's less like, I mean, some of it's professionalism. Some of it's, you know, just can you be flexible? Can you think on your feet? But some of it's, can I believe that you are a certain person or a certain way? How do you test to see if a dog has emotions? I don't know. That's a good question. Speaking of which, we've got some uh, some new applications for producer. My uh, my sweet little kitty's with my niece right now. Oh, kitty cat came back. Well, I'm not taking her back. She can live with you, but she's not our producer anymore. I'm sorry, I can't. It's just bush league. As soon as she saw my my niece, who immediately picked this beautiful little kitty up and started cuddling her and feeding her and taking care of her, she was completely done with me. The cat mm. wants nothing to do with me anymore. I think we're through. Well, she'll have a what? better life. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that she had it coming. She did do a good job producing our last episode, guys, the first one. Well, she produced like the first three minutes of it. She set the mic up and then that was it. What do you think about, have you met my dogs, Olive and Charlie? Because they're both vying for the role real hard. I'm completely in favor of that. That's not too nepotistic for you? I mean, if they fill out a form... They watch Mm -hmm. a video, you know, go through the process. It's totally fine. Well, speaking of casting, I was trying to think of how to test whether or not they kind of have the, uh, the roll with the punches attitude that a producer would need for a show for a, you know, a high stakes show like this. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, I I don't know yet. I'm still working on kind of vetting them, but earlier I decided to sort of get on the floor, kind of wrestle with them a little bit. And I found a toy that they really liked, and I made them fight to the death over I'm going to put the phone number to PETA in the show notes. No, I, it's, it's, it, trust me, no one got hurt. I stopped them, but I just needed to know that they, if I say fight to the death with your brother, Olive, I want you to kill him. This is an Abraham and Isaac situation. Yeah, exactly. I needed to know that she would do it, and she was totally in, just zero hesitation. And she, I, I had to stop her. She had her her mouth around charlie's jugular and she was about to rip it out and uh, i was like olive you got you you got it but then as soon charlie didn't waste a second he as soon as i said you're done he he took advantage of of her guard being down and he got her pinned 
And so now they're tied, and I can't decide which one we should give the roll to. After all that work, it's going to be a shame, but just flip a coin. All right, let's um, let's flip. Okay, I got a quarter. Uh, I'm going to flip now, call it in the air, okay? Heads for Olive. Charlie got it. It was Tails. He wanted it more. Yeah, he definitely wanted it more. Okay, so Zay, um, you told me to listen to that Drake, the new yeah. album, Scorpion. What'd you think of it? Uh, I started it this morning. I listened to the first two songs, but mm. I pulled it up on my phone on iTunes, you know, mm-hmm. and they have notes about the album mm. and Drake wrote the editor notes. Oh. So for, for instance, you know, if it were like Kid See Ghost, it would say Kid Cudi and Kanye West made this mm-hmm. album last year, blah, blah, blah. I would tell you a little bit about it. But Drake wrote the editor notes for his album and they are the following you ready yes i'm so ready okay it's, this is all caps so the person is screaming this mm. the I, person being drake yeah drake is it cool to like drake by the way i don't even know i just sent it to you because i was like oh this is blowing up Let's i'm just gonna read like it. three of these i'm just gonna read like okay, a couple read, of these read, ready yeah and we can answer that question after we read this is it okay to like drake or is it, it cool to like drake is it cool to like okay, Drake? Okay, go ahead. Okay. I hate when Drake raps. <laughs> Drake sings too much. Drake is a pop artist. Ooh. Drake doesn't even write his own songs. Drake didn't start from the bottom. <laughs> Drake is finished. Drake thinks he's Jamaican. <laughs> Drake. Rude boy. Rude boy. <laughs> Drake is an actor. Drake changed anybody else greater than sign Drake. That's what he wrote. I am dying right now. It's crazy, right? So I saw that. I had to read it like four times. What does this mean? Drake is going through some shit. He's sick of the haters fucking with him. That is wild. It's intense. But the songs, they sound... Do you think the haters are fucking with him with good reason? Do you have an opinion on that? No, I mean... I don't, I don't either. I don't know anything about any of these people. I know very little about him at all. You make great songs, dude. That's where it stops. Like, I don't care what you do after that. Does he make great songs, though? Yeah, I don't even know. dude. Yeah, he's Oh, great. okay. I mean, whoever I mean, produces I think the beats his beats are pretty fresh. Sick. Oh, dude, the beats are Oh, nasty. we sound so white. I know. I'm I mean, in, but at yeah, least I'm in Queens, it. not Williamsburg right now, y'all. Yeah. And I just said y'all. Y'all, baby. Southerner. But I did listen to one of the songs, and Drake... Uh, said that he's Euro-stepping somewhere, like he's Euro-stepping past people into the metaphorical end zone of success, I guess. Mm. I just mix so many metaphors. But Mm. uh, do you know, I could not get that image out of my mind of Drake traveling, because that's what Euro-stepping is, traveling, right? I bet it's a very luxurious process you know what euro stepping is you know what i'm talking about no i don't oh, no, i don't know oh, what stepping is. we know so little about basketball we're gonna be exposed here okay oh yeah so euro step is when you take like one two three i think people are screaming right now at their radios we're on the radio the, teddy is screaming because of how stupid i am right now but <laughs> i think it's one two three steps shoot the ball get points Oh, you get points. These dudes brought it over. It's basketball. You know, you make the basket, you get points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these guys brought this, like, step over from Europe, Mm. which is why it's from Europe 
league basketball. They brought it over to the NBA. Euro stepping. And oh, they call it. Because it's kind of cheating. Euro step. But yeah. they get away with it. Yeah. It's mm. like a stutter step. It's a very, uh, it's a unique sort of thing, but it looks like straight up traveling. Oh, so you meant traveling like traveling in basketball, not traveling in uh, Europe. Exactly. I was picturing Drake on a jet. That was the wrong image. We got to get Uncle Nate on the horn, dude. Yeah, we got a buddy, uh, Nate Drexler, sports expert. Maybe he can clear up your stepping for us. What do you think? He's a sports writer. He knows okay. a lot of stuff about sports. Let's see what he has to say about Euro stepping or just sports in general. Oh, baby. Modern Who doesn't technology. love a little dose of sports? Nate? Hello? Oh, baby. We got Nate Drexler on the horn. Unbelievable. My good friend Isaiah, my West Coast friend, my only West Coast connection. How are you? Nate, I'm so good. Um, can you hear my boy Johnny Bear? Hey, Uncle Nate, what's going on? I got you, Johnny Bear. What's going on, my man? I'm just a few blocks away in beautiful Astoria. I was going to say, long time no talk. Welcome to the East Coast, my friend. Uncle Nate and I were pounding ice cream last night together. Holy Christmas, dude. We went on an ice cream journey and... Johnny Bear, as as you so affectionately call him, got an ice cream Snickers bar for the walk home. It was delicious. Like an appetizer <laughs> for, the, for the ice cream that we bought. We bought ice cream, and he got an ice cream Snickers bar as an appetizer. Man, after my own heart. Dude. That is... It was delicious. I've got no regrets. No regrets. That is exactly how I would have done it. It was right after we had Suvlaki. Dude, that's like how celebrities take their ice cream. That's like a, a power move, man. Mm-hmm. That seems like the kind of thing Drake would do. Ooh. Exactly. Now we got to get Uncle Nate. We got to get Uncle Nate to clear this up for us. Uncle Nate, what is a Euro step? Dude, a Euro step, it's really hard to explain. You mm. kind of have to We go found that on to be true ourselves. Oh, thank you. But it's essentially when Link you in take the, show the notes. ball to the basket and, and and you're holding the ball and you do something of a crossover step to juke the defender into leaning one direction, but it's really an awkward move. So, like, it's sort of like the opposite of, like, a jab step to get a guy because when you're jab stepping, you're usually just going, like, the momentum of your body is going whichever way you're jabbing. But with the arrow step, you're actually jabbing opposite of the momentum of your body. So it, like, doubly confuses the defender. And then you, and then hopefully he's he's off balance enough that you can that you can go up. But it requires an incredible amount of, of coordination and hmm. footwork that a lot of guys just can't pull off. It's it's it's, it's very tricky. I, I don't really. It's hard to explain exactly what it is. You have to YouTube it. Hey Nate, tell us real quick what you think about LeBron James going to L.A. Oh. Well, I had a horrible night last night. I mean, I really, I lost composure. <laughs> I have people on my Twitter telling me it's going to be okay and, and not to lose your cool. LeBron uh, signed a four-year contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. And it's not about the fact that he signed a contract with a different team. I'm not a Cavs fan. I'm a LeBron fan. I'll follow him anywhere. I own a Heat jersey and a Cavs jersey with his name on it. LA is a huge market, whatever. It's going to be great for his family. The problem is... They did not immediately build anything around him that's good. Mm. They brought on Lance Stevenson, who is like a garbage pail kid, of a psycho, who blew, <laughs> he blew carbon dioxide in LeBron's ear in the middle of a, a very important game several years ago. He's like a thorn in LeBron's wait, side. Wait, 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 wait. He blew... Oh, uh, uh. Can, can you please tell him what is blowing carbon dioxide in his ear? Is that a euphemism? <laughs> it, no, he... he, he 
carbon dioxide is what is what actually comes out of your mouth when you exhale. Mm, okay. He leaned over in the middle of a huge game. They were coming out of a timeout, a playoff game where LeBron's playoff life was in jeopardy, un- inexplicably, one of those games. And Lance Stevenson was guarding him and doing a decent job of guarding him in that game. And coming out of a timeout, he leaned over and blew in his ear, like softly and tenderly blew air into his ear. And it's a, it's a great video and, and a gif of it. And LeBron just stays staring like he didn't let it bother him. He didn't <laughs> let it get to him in the moment. But, like, this dude is, like, the ultimate LeBron troll all through his career and gives him headaches. So mm. immediately when LeBron signs with the Lakers, they go get this guy. And I think it's because LeBron was like, I don't want to have to deal with this guy on the opposite side of the court as me. Mm. But at the same time, he's not good. And he's not going to help this team. And he's a garbage pail. He's a garbage pail kid. And also, the other thing that he does, he does this quite often. I cannot get past this blowing in the ear thing. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't. He doesn't say a word. He bends over and just like, you know how like annoying it would be if like someone gave you like a wet willy? Oh, I would like, smack him. Worse. I would literally punch him in the face. Real. That's what everyone wanted to do was punch him in his face. LeBron just stayed with a straight. Because he's a pro. He's a professional. Like, I want to actually kill this guy. He's a like, professional. I murder him. But he's a professional. He's the best professional. What did LeBron do to him? He must have done something. Is he just the best? He just kills him. He just kills him. It's just that he's the best. And and Lance Stevenson's one of these guys, like, everyone in the NBA has an ego. I don't mean this in a negative way. But all these guys, if you think about it, were the best in their grade school. They were the best in their high school. They were the best on their college team. They were the best on their AAU team. So when they get to the NBA, it doesn't really register to them, I'm not as good as LeBron James. Mm. All of these guys absolutely believe they are the best player. They just haven't gotten their chance yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, everyone's like, I I, I used to work for ESPN a little bit, like, like blogging, and I covered a lot of games down in Orlando when I was there, and I talked to a lot of players. And I talked to a lot of players about fear, and I think at the time it was something like Dwight Howard was was maybe going to sign with a team with another big center. And I was like, does that scare you? You know, what doesn't that worry you to have those two guys on the same team? Mm-hmm. And and the answer was unanimous. And it wasn't like just a sound bite. These guys were like, what? No, like nothing scares me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I can play with anyone like this. I'm the best. And they really do think that. So that's the way that people are. You almost have to think like, that. You have to. I mean, otherwise, you're not. You, you can't get to that level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not but there, it's right? Something that we don't think about because we really, as fans, we see more objectively. We're like, yeah, of course, LeBron is way better than X player. Of course, this guy's better than this player. Those guys in that moment, they've never been told or believed anything except I'm actually the best, if not one, or one of the best, if not the best players in the court. Mm. So there's that mentality. So like when they go up, so it's not that LeBron had to do anything to him. It's that Lance Stevenson is looking at the mirror at night when he goes home to his million dollar condo in Indianapolis. And he's like, uh, dude, I can stop this guy. Mm. Uh, and then he has a game where like he actually maybe has 20 points and maybe gets a steal off LeBron. And he's like, that just like reaffirms it. You know what I'm saying? So Wait, like, he lives in Indianapolis. Dude, Why is he living in Indianapolis? Well, he played, well, he played for the Pacers. Oh, the Pacers. Yeah. Are they yeah, a soccer yeah, yeah. team? <laughs> they're, they're they're not they're they're basketball. They're in the World Cup, right? <laughs> no, they're sure the not. San and, believe it or not, in the World Cup, dude, states don't have teams that go to the World Cup. Okay, fun fact, fun fact, fun fact. Iceland, <laughs> Iceland nearly beat Argentina in the World Cup. Do you know how many people no. live in Iceland? No, tell me. Like three hundred thousand. <laughs> 
and they fielded they fielded a world-class soccer team that almost beat Lionel Messi. The entire United States did not field a world-class soccer team that could almost beat Messi, but Iceland did. There are more people living in like Glendale, California than there are in the entire country of Iceland and they fielded a world-class soccer team. How is that possible? But, bro, I, There's well, 30 see, people. Okay, so I don't know, but I was going to ask you because I don't. So I don't follow the World Cup closely, but but I'm curious if you look that up. And another thing you should look up is how many guys on that roster live in Iceland. Like I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious. That's such a, lot a good of guys point. Just go back to their home heritage country. Okay, that's fine, but they're still Icelandic. Somehow, but how much do they have to be? I don't know, Can't but they be just like a quarter and still choose to go play for Iceland. I don't know. Okay, don't know that could that. still be true, but if Wait, that do you rule even applies, have to be ethnically connected to a country to play for that team? You don't have to be, right? It's like the Olympics. We I have tons of know. Chinese figure skaters that play that. Per, uh, compete for america okay then fine if you can extrapolate out a certain amount of nationality that would be even more true with america right, right, right. where is our world cup team you dum-dums Bro, just need more money know, for give, recruiting let me give a shout out to, to dude that's Bishop, like akron yeah. ohio fielding an nba team that beats the Cavs in the finals <laughs> not but without lebron james exactly how <laughs> How? Dude, I don't know. The World Cup is confounding to me. Like I like I I sort of I sort of dislike where we are now cuz like when did that game happen? It wasn't in one of the early rounds where it's just like points that that you have to accumulate. Yeah, no, I don't this even know like that much. Elimination yeah. game. No, this was and, this was and, a points game. This was a points game. Oh, it was. They're okay, probably so out I, now. Yeah, I'm barely even paying attention. I just thought it was a fun fact. I see. I don't know because in those points games, I feel like people are letting off the gas a little bit because they're like calculating. We don't need to go balls out for this game because all we need is X amount of points mm. to advance to the next round. But then I don't like the idea of elimination games either because it's like the NCAA tournament and anyone can beat anyone. Like you can get a fluke goal. I don't. I didn't see the game. I don't know if Iceland scored fluke goals. I know Messi. Messi plays for Argentina, right? He's been getting a lot of flack, right. for being like kind of a fraud or not playing well. And yeah, he never plays well in the World way. Cup, though. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like an elimination. Like, either I feel like World Cup games are just like unpredictable, mm-hmm. and I don't like that. It's kind of like March Madness. Rather, I, yeah, I'm more of a series guy. I'm like, let these teams play against each other three to seven times, then we actually know who's better. Mm-hmm. And I, and of course, I think like I don't know because I, I actually don't know, but I assuming Argentina would probably win in a five-game series over Iceland. Nate, let's get a quick hot take on are you coming to Los Angeles to see LeBron play or not? Well, I fired off a tweet this morning. I'm extremely disgruntled about the move. People are telling me that he's taken the long con. He's building for next year and the year after that. I think, dude, I live in New York City, and I can't afford to go to a Knicks game. And the Knicks are terrible but I can't afford to get into the stadium. I, I'd love to. In theory, I think I would love to come to Staples Center and see LeBron. And I follow him anywhere, and I tweeted this morning that even though I'm disgruntled, I'm, I'm all in. I'm on board. I'm a Lakers fan. You know, don't at me. Don't at me because I've gone on record to say that I'm a LeBron fan, so I follow him everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just a bandwagoner. I'm a lifelong Yeah, LeBron you chose that a long time ago. 2011, uh, 2001, I think. So, Have you covered up your Cavs tattoo yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. I just got a King James tattoo. But check this out. I was see. I saw online yesterday that uh, season ticket 
season ticket prices jumped already uh, for Staples Center like fifteen hundred dollars, like overnight. Oh my gosh! Um, so I mean, there's just no way. I there's there's no way I could afford to go. That's to insane. That's so much money. So if someone buys me a ticket, I will absolutely be there. If I can somehow figure out a way to finance a ticket, I may do it. I would love to see LeBron play in Staples Center. Maybe not this year because the team is garbage, but maybe like in two years. I'm done with law mm-hmm. school. I'm feeling good. Yeah. He's on the four-year contract. He's finally right. got his championship squad. I save up a little bit of money, and I get to go see uh, That's all from Nate for now. I hung up on Whoa. him. Oh. <laughs> he started getting in the weeds, and this isn't really a sports podcast, you know? You just hung up on him, cold turkey? I just, I, I felt like it was going to take like another 10 minutes to wrap up the conversation. It was so much sports, my head was starting to hurt. I know, that's it's why like I had a, to, I just had to get out of there. He knows so much about sports. It's intimidating. Am I crazy? I really was a little worried that we were going to end up taking another hour to finish that conversation. I was, I was trying to soak in as much of that as I could. I love that guy. Oh, we'll call him back. We'll call him back. Hopefully, he'll pick up next time. I don't know, man. That was pretty rude, but we'll see. <laughs> I had a, I just okay. Speaking of LeBron moving, speaking of you know uh, Drake, uh, I mean that monologue is incredible, um, or whatever you call that. I it's an I think it's a message to the haters. That's what that that is. Yeah, it's pre. It's it's. Don't you think he's a little? What is he afraid of, though? Is he afraid of his recent success? I mean, because I was I was looking at the lyrics for that previously. Um, Sure, it seems like he's terrified of success or what success entails. Being in the spotlight, yeah, like people hating him, people being haters. So he's got to respond to them. I don't know. I guess I can kind of do. You have to respond to that. I mean, that just seems that's a very good question. I don't know. I really don't you're know. Drake, you're Drake. You have a jet, dude. Relax. Yeah. You don't have to respond to people who call you stupid. I know. Or say you're a bad rapper. Yeah. It seems so But petty. it seems like it's the so... entire album is about that. At least right. from what I can I tell. I listened to enough of it. I just heard those sweet, sweet beats and I was seduced. The other thing about this Drake, the Drake liner notes, is that it sounds a lot like what Kanye West said about himself. I like the old Kanye. You know, he... he referred to the criticism before other people could mm. that he had changed and somehow his musical style had changed mm-hmm. he's pre-responding to the haters quote-unquote and drake mm-hmm. who has already been accused of copying people seemed like mm-hmm. he just copied kanye west with this mm-hmm. yeah i don't know what uh yeah i will we'll, maybe we'll have to have a a rap we'll have to have drake on. on we'll get drake i can get drake i'll call him Drizzy, if you're listening, hit us up. I don't know. I am. I can relate to the sense of of being afraid of the possibility of being seduced by success and and sort of becoming addicted to affirmation. Yeah. You know, right? Th- there's something about obscurity. I, I there's part of me that like I I if I'm honest, I would love to make movies that everyone watches and and become famous. You know, if I'm honest, I, I want that. And I'm sure you, you know, anyone can relate to that. I want that for you. Well, thank you, John. And, but there's also part of me that thinks I'm probably better off being a little bit of a career failure and being stable as a human being, you know? And I, and I hope I can have both of those things, but it scares the crap out of me trying to have both. The idea of trying to have both. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm putting the cart way before the donkey, you know? I think we'll just have to explore that. I think we will. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Next week we'll check in and hear what's uh, what the what has happened since we last. Yeah, talked. I hope I'll have some more progress for you. 
I think you need to create some drama to have something to talk about. Yeah. I think it's time to start poking the bear, if you know what I mean. Fire this casting director. Get a new one. Shake it up. <laughs> Dude, this casting director gave me the quickest read. I've she, she read my script in under a week. That is miraculous. No one ever does that. I'm Unless very she, thankful. Even if she says no at this point, she did not waste my time, and I appreciate that. You got to get this girl to let you use her name so we can give her a shout-out. I You're know. You're so many nice things about her. I know. She seems great. I mean, we'll see if she wants to do the project. If she doesn't, I completely understand. Sometimes you just can't do everything. Sure. Um, great. Well, John, this was this has been a real pleasure. I'm super excited about uh, about next week. I hope I'll have some good updates. And... I hope you have a great time. Quick, tell everybody what you're doing in New York. What's in New York? Why are you there? I'm here for the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. I'm Mm. a competitor. You're a former champion? Drinking gallons of water, dipping hot dogs in that water and eating it. I'm here for a visit to see shows and soak up the culture. You know, I live in the South now, so Mm -hmm. it's like like a fit tea. You know, I got to clear my system out. I got to detox by coming up to the North and... Mm -hmm. Although, you know, Manhattan in particular is like a gated community for rich people now. Oh, it's so obnoxious. There's no counterculture going on. It's Disneyland for rich people. It's like uh, when you go to Harry Potter World and everything looks like it's made yep. of stone, but it's actually made of it's concrete all and rebar. Up. It's and all it's nerfed It's like up. got stucco on it. It's a fun place. It's a beautiful place. You can go to parks if you have kids. It's great. You can, you know, there's tons of free stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Everybody's friendly for the most part. Mm-hmm. Everything's safe in Manhattan. But it just, it feels like Disneyland. And then you come out to mm-hmm. like Astoria, which is tons of mm-hmm. Greeks, tons of real restaurants people trying to Mm. scrape out a living um and it's just it has a completely different feel it's really the story is great Uh, i love it excellent all right well i hope you have a great time and uh we'll catch up in a week talk to you in a week bye buddy bye thanks for tuning in for episode two of i guess we'll do it that way today's show was produced and edited by isaiah smallman Intro music was composed by Carl Cadwell and recorded by The Distribution. Outro music by Tom Paulus and Max Bells. Our cover art was designed by Nate Giordano. This has been a production of Mama Bear Studios. Yeah, boy.